Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy podcast. My name is Tally Rye. And this is the podcast that helps you with your relationship with moving your body, with feeding your body, and with looking after your mind. Today's guest is William Hornby. You might know William, I found him on TikTok. You might know him from Instagram, but he is a men's mental health advocate who is talking about his eating disorder and male eating disorders and trying to break the stigma and help more men feel seen and heard and validated in their experiences and so I'm really honoured to have William on the podcast discussing this topic. Of course I hope it goes without saying but I'm saying it anyway that we are of course discussing eating disorders and if you're not ready to hear this conversation right now I completely appreciate that so maybe this isn't the episode for you and if you or maybe someone you know who uh, you love Um, might need help and support with this then I've put a link in the show notes um, for some somewhere you can find more information more resources and get the help you deserve that person in your life deserves before we get into the episode I want to remind you that we have the final few spaces on the train happy Greece retreat literally the final few rooms so if you were thinking about getting your spot now is the time to do it and we're going in September we're going to the beautiful island of Crete to just outside the town of Chennai in Crete we're staying in a gorgeous villa it looks amazing and just every time I look at the pictures with that blue water those blue skies I just get so excited it feels like it's been so long since we've all done that right and this retreat is not only in just a gorgeous setting but it's really designed to help you reconnect with yourself reconnect with your body you know let peel back the layers and figure out how you can have a better relationship with moving your body and how you can find a more intuitive approach to fitness and to everything really of course we're going to be having fun and hopefully there'll be loads of like-minded people there who want to just holiday with you basically and for my Americans listening that means vacation so if you want more information on that of course the information is in the show notes and just a reminder for those who got their copy of the train happy journal you can join the train happy journal community facebook group once again that link is also in the show notes we would love to have you there we're just sharing you know the bits we find easy and hard and what's coming up for us as we're doing the journal and it's such a beautiful supportive group and such a lovely community that i hope you become a part of it and of course we have to make time for as always train happy trooper of the week this week's train happy moment comes from listener emily and emily says i wanted to share my train happy moment with you i've been training in the gym for about seven years now and i really enjoy it 
but I've always wanted to do classes but have had major anxiety about going to them. I think this is just about being rubbish and not being able to leave and general self-consciousness. I booked myself onto a spin class and went this morning. I was pretty nervous but I did it. It was hard but I'm just so proud I pushed myself to walk through the doors. Emily, I'm really proud of you for getting that little bit outside your comfort zone to do something you've wanted to do but have felt afraid to do. And I hope... I mean, we've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I hope just knowing you always have the permission to leave the class at any point if you want to stop whenever you want to and listen to your body during that class setting, that it gives you that reassurance that it's not, you know, you don't have to feel judged and, you know, um, pushed too hard by the instructor or by the environment. And so good on you for giving it a go and I'm glad you did it and it sounds like you had a good time which is awesome and for those who are considering classes I think and for those of us who are instructors like let's be mindful of our language let's steer away from diet culture language let's talk about the positives of moving our body that have nothing to do with how we look or how much we weigh or anything to do with earning and burning food and let's create environments where people feel welcome and included and excited about moving their bodies and don't feel dread and fear because then hopefully more people like Emily feel comfortable enough to go to class and if you want to hear more from Emily you can read the rest of her answers to our train happy trooper feature over on instagram at train happy podcast and if you would like to be train happy trooper of the week please direct message us on Instagram at trainhappypodcast or you can email us trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. But enough from me, let's get into this week's chat, one I really enjoyed and one I think, um, yeah, I just had a really great conversation and I think is a must listen for a lot of people. This is William Hornby. William, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on the Train Happy podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you offering to have me. Well, I basically came across you on TikTok and I think that's how you came up on my For You page. And I like probably every single video you put up ever. I'm such a fangirl because everything you're saying is just so spot on and it's so refreshing to see a guy say these things I think I really appreciate it in this space you might have noticed it can be very um like a female dominant female orientated and absolutely yeah it's so refreshing to have your voice so thank you you. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that yeah that's that's a lot of the reason why I got started with this um I always say it's a it's weird to be considered part of like diversity equity and inclusion as a white man (laughs) Um, (laughs) but there really there really are not um any men who talk about this or really who have big platforms talking about this um and so i am honored to be one of the first and um hopefully this inspires more people to speak out with various other identities as well because there, this issue is so much more than just skinny white women. I couldn't agree with you more. And I love that we're 
challenging those stereotypes and narratives in so many ways. Um, and on, like I say, on this podcast, we've we've spoken to men about this before. We've spoken to women, I think, of all shapes and sizes of in this discussion. Um, we've heard from different people with different different ethnic backgrounds and on mm-hmm. what you know what may be sort of the triggers. But I do think as a general thing, maybe not even in eating disorders, but beyond that, just mental health conversation as well is so lacking with men. And I just think it's something you Absolutely. are really good at addressing, but in like a really fun, it sounds like ironic, like the fun, engaging way. And I think that's, <laughs> that's the, but that's your thing. And that's what you're really good at. Um, and so I would love to know how you, how you got to doing this, because like I said, I know your work, I know your content. And for those listening, like I will make sure you go check out William at the end of all of this. But for those listening, like what is your story and how did you end up wanting to get to the point of being able and comfortable enough to share your own journey online and help others and advocate for others to kind of check in on their own mental health? Yeah, so I started eating disorder recovery in April of 2020. It was very, very soon after everything locked down. Um, I had been studying abroad. I had been in Rome and I came home to the U.S. and I knew that I needed help, but it was easier to manage my eating disorder, like not recover from my eating disorder, but manage my eating disorder in Europe because um, specifically in Rome, there was just so much less diet culture messaging there, um, or at least if it was there, it was in a language I didn't fully understand, you know? Um, But overall, like the culture around food in Italy is very like welcoming and accepting. And it's like done on this schedule almost. And it's, it's really, uh, there's so much great food, you know, and you just feel like you can eat it because you have to, because you're in Italy. Um, Like carbs are not the enemy in Rome. Yeah, carbs are not the enemy in Italy. Um, and uh, pasta is very good. Um, but uh, I got back to the US and obviously it was very traumatic getting kicked out of Europe. Um, and I relapsed really hard um, into everything I had been going through. And so I reached out to the dietitian I already had a relationship with and I never stopped uh, working with my therapist who um, was working with me while I was still abroad. Um, And she specializes in eating disorder recovery. My dietitian actually introduced me to my therapist, um, but I had still just not taken on recovery. And um, I started to recover in a very lonely fashion in that I didn't have any men that I knew who were also going through recovery. And I couldn't find any other men talking about it online, which was really disorienting and isolating. And I asked my therapist and my dietitian if they could connect me with any resources that were for men or any like advocates who specifically like specialized in, in talking about eating sort of recovery for men or just anything that would make me feel less alone in this process. And I couldn't come across anything and they also couldn't find anything. And it was, 
it was a hurdle that I had to get over in my own recovery. And in October of 2020, I went viral on TikTok for carving pumpkins. Um, and I carved 18 pumpkins in October of 2020. And then I was like, I should like, say oh. to a very high standard, like to people who are thinking like, oh, cute, you did like <laughs> triangle eyes. No, they're like elaborate pieces of art. You got to <laughs> go you. look at these pumpkins. <laughs> Thank you for being familiar with my pumpkin art. <laughs> like I said, big fan. I'm not lying. I've, I've, I've done I my really research. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I went viral for pumpkin carving and then I was like, okay, I'm done with TikTok. No more of that. I'll pick it up in October of 2021. Um, but then I realized, I was like, I have 13,000 followers, which at the time felt massive to me. Um, I was like, that's a platform. I could be using this for good. And what I could be doing is be the person I needed when I was in the thick of recovery and needed a guy to be talking about recovery. I could be that guy for other people who need a guy to be talking about recovery. So I started making videos like that. The first one to really go viral was in December of 2020. Um, and suddenly I had a very large platform and it, it kept growing. And now it's my job. And that's really weird to me. <laughs> but, it, <clears throat> but it's so great because like you said, and I came into the, this work in not quite the same way but have very much transitioned to doing what I do now and you know making this podcast because exactly that I want to be the person I didn't have to look up to when I was going through my own process of recovery and who are my role models and who is talking about this particular perspective and this particular angle and, and had an experience you can relate to and so since starting your TikTok platform have you found that there has that your getting a lot of uh, male followers reaching out and saying like, I relate to this. Like, no, I haven't heard people talking about this before. And, and what's the feedback? Absolutely. Like? A first viral video that happened. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, even though like percentage wise, a very, very small amount of my following overall is men, um, when you break down those percentages, it's still thousands and thousands of men who are following me. Um, and that means a lot. And the, the reason I do it is for them. I mean, I, I do it for everyone, obviously, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm mainly here doing this for men and for masculine presenting people. Um, because I, I think that they they need it, and I know I needed it. They they so do, and I completely agree with you. And you know, one thing I wanted to talk about today was because I've seen you make videos about this, and it's something obviously I have my views on. Having worked in the fitness industry, having worked in a gym, having actually largely been around men when I've worked in the fitness industry, and and yet seen a huge denial of the fact that, you know, or a lack of understanding and denial about eating disorders within that community. Like how much 
uh, you know, like I said, I've seen this, I've seen videos of you saying that about the kind of like fitness bro, gym bro kind of culture mm-hmm. online that a lot of what is considered, and, you know, I, I agree with you, a lot of what is considered, you know, being like a fit guy, being, you know, a clean eater, a macro count, whatever, is largely disordered and yet it's so normalized and so encouraged sure. in that environment that so many people don't even realize it's disordered. Absolutely. Uh, that's because um, a lot of our understanding of what it means to be a man and the modern definition of masculinity are shaped by this idea of how you diet as a man and mm. how you um, how you exercise as a man. I think that that is definitely propelled by people like Joe Rogan, but it's also yeah. <laughs> it's also um, it's it can be drawn back to the 2008 financial crisis. Um, it became a hurdle for men, the financial crisis, uh, for this goal of being the breadwinner of the family. Mm. And that was the running definition of masculinity at the time. It was that you become the breadwinner for your family, you're the provider, you're making all of this money, blah, 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 right? And that stopped being a reality for a lot of people or like an achievable reality because of the crisis. And quickly you saw the dieting and fitness industries pivot in a way that we haven't seen before to start to capitalize off of that and really make like dude diets a thing. And you you saw men start to be targeted by these ads in a similar way to women. This is actually talked about in a book called Diners, Dudes, and Diets by a woman named Emily Contois. Um, and I highly recommend the book to I need anyone. to read that. That sounds yeah. fascinating. Um, it's it's a really, really interesting uh, observation she has made. Uh, she comes from a marketing background, and these are her observations about it. Um, and so uh, you can tie this increase in... Uh, male disordered eating and eating disorders to the 2008 recession. Um, And we are actually at a point now where eating disorders are increasing at a higher rate in teenage boys than they are in teenage girls. And that is being propelled by this culture of fitness online in particular. You can see it everywhere in TikTok and on Instagram. it's it's everywhere in those fitness communities and the way that they talk about discipline and the way that they talk about uh no excuses controlling things it's no yeah. excuses and it's it's almost identical rhetoric to like pro anna tumblr it is and this is the th- so i've told this anecdote on the podcast before but i want to tell you um because I recently got sent a video by a quite prominent fitness, you know, fitness personality in the UK, like an online fitness trainer Mm -hmm. who was telling people why they should be counting calories and why it was really important to be counting calories and that essentially that people who struggled to count calories and found it triggering, like they're weak-minded, it's their fault, 
they get an eating disorder. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the observations he made in the video was that, you know, it's really good to be able to look at a plate of food and know how many calories are in it. Like that's a really, um, that's a really helpful tool to help control and manage your diet. So you know what you're eating all the times. And my <laughs> eating disorder brain is like, ding, ding, ding. Do you know, like if that's a massive red flag and if a woman told you that she was, you know, looking at plates of food and only seeing numbers and like, you know, only seeing that, mm-hmm. that is a huge disordered behavior that is not normal. And people with healthy relationships yeah. with food do not look at plates of food and think about numbers. But it's so normalized now because so it is, normalized. it's tied to masculinity. Yes. And a- another really, <clears throat> really great book is called uh, For the Love of Men by Liz Plank. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, she sent it to me, actually. It's a fantastic oh. read. Yeah. Um, and it delves into how we would all benefit from mm-hmm. a more constructive form of masculinity a kinder form of masculinity and that is a really important part of this conversation when we're talking about men's eating disorders and why they're on the rise because they are associated with masculinity it is a much more complicated issue to try to deconstruct and it's going to be a harder one to to work on because it is so intrinsically tied to this thing that we place all of our value on in society. This idea that men are superior and that masculinity is the number one thing that you must attain, even if you're a woman. Like the things that we hold up in society for women are so masculine focused. Mm. I think it also ties into this idea, and I have read Liz's book, so I know. I'm so um, glad you've read it. It's yeah, a brilliant it's, read. I had her on a podcast, and I just really loved, I really just loved her perspective, and I thought she's amazing, really great. Yeah, um, and I, what I also took away from from her perspective on um, kind of like toxic masculinity, and and um is that and I think this really kind of is a massive crossover with the fitness industry that I can just see with my own experience is that because I think as women struggle to talk about their feelings but for men there are so many more barriers to even begin mm-hmm. to open up about how you Absolutely. feel and therefore a lot of people look to exercise and the gym as a way to manage their mm-hmm. anger their sadness their pain their stress whatever's going on in their life I think you know, where at least with in, you know, sort of traditional female friendships, you can at least feel like you can open up to your close friends, but even that Absolutely. might not be normalized in, in those groups. And so we're looking and, you know, with the rise of, like you say, gym culture, bro culture, post 2008, then with the rise of, um, because I found fitness with the rise of bodybuilding with all of the kind of like Mm -hmm. if it fits your macros my fitness pal era you know circa 2012 13 14 with all of that coming through and Gymshark being this huge brand that's coming through that was very um body bodybuilding centric originally like Mm -hmm. all of this is telling men that all you need to do to control stuff is go to the gym and so 
whatever's going on in your mental health, like how can you challenge it? Well, you can just work out and then that's fine. And this is why, and I've seen you make content about this and I've made content about this, about the phrase saying, exercise is my therapy or exercise is therapy Mm -hmm. can be really problematic because if that is your only outlet, then it's, it, you need more in your toolbox than just the gym, than just some dumbbells. Like Absolutely. you need to have other tools. And sadly, I mean, I'd love to hear you speak on this, that that there are less tools that are socially acceptable for men to engage in. You know, going to therapy sure. is a massive taboo and, and talking about your feelings. And, you know, do you feel that that was, I don't know if that's been part of your own experience of kind of, not having an outlet to work through um, other aspects of your, you know, your feelings and emotions and therefore being drawn to, I don't know if the gym was a heavy part of your own experience, but mm-hmm. being drawn into those spaces. Well, so I have, I'm a gay man. Um, and so things have been a little bit different for me mm-hmm. uh, in that I've always had really supportive women around me in my life. Um and also, I, I was very fortunate to go to a performing arts high school. So I have some really wonderful straight men in my life that I'm very open with. And they're incredible for me as well. Um, and so I'm very much an exception in that specific regard. Um, but I do know that a lot of men view the gym not only as like the form of therapy that they can have for their mind but they also view it as the cheapest and they're not wrong to do that um because the other issue that intersects with this is that the therapy industry is really unaffordable Mm. um and it's it's obvious that we need to be paying therapists what they're worth right like therapy is expensive because therapists are highly trained professionals who deserve to be compensated for their work and so let me just say that but also like our healthcare systems do not support mental health in the way that they should in an in a way that treats mental health as real health you know Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very fortunate to have health insurance in the U.S. that covers my therapy. But if I didn't, it would be significantly less affordable. And I don't know whether I would be having therapy that is at at least at the quality that I'm having it uh, or at all if I didn't have health insurance because it is so unaffordable. And so I, when men turn to me and they're like, but therapy is unaffordable, the gym is affordable, or like mm-hmm. exercising is free. Like, they're not entirely wrong. But that is, that's a systemic issue, as is the construct of masculinity. Uh, and so what we're dealing with are a bunch of systemic issues that need to be solved in chorus with each other. And it's the same in the UK. We do have a slightly easier access to um, therapy and support, but waiting lists are really long right now. Yeah, well, uh, so, sorry, not to no, interrupt no, you immediately, um, but, uh, you know, 
I don't think that anywhere really has the answer to healthcare systems and how, specifically for mental health, how they should be handled because we don't have enough mental health professionals. It's a, it's a issue of supply and demand. So in the United States where healthcare is largely unaffordable for people, it's not an issue of wait lists as much as it's an issue of, can I afford this? but it's weeding out people who can't afford it. And so because it is exclusively for people who can afford it, that keeps the demand for it low in terms of who can actually afford to reach out for a therapist and like uh, gun for the supply, you know? Yeah. Whereas where the supply is around the same probably in the UK, the demand is much higher and so wait lists are much longer. And while the access to it is technically more equitable, there's still the same amount of supply and that it's still not enough. So I, I think that um, we need more mental health professionals and that's another really big thing. So if you're considering going into mental health, you should. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> we need you. Yeah, and I think we really also do. with that, as well, kind of coming back to this idea that in what would be detected in women as disordered is often kind of looked over in mm-hmm. especially kind of like straight masculine men. Um, I I wonder if there would be people who are also not getting the referral or not being picked up by their doctor or um with certain behaviors because it's in you know like we're thinking of diagnostic criteria and we're thinking of things that mm-hmm. like we said are traditionally thought of as like thin white women and we're well, not I, can, thinking- I can attest to that personally because yeah. that was my situation really if, if I had been a woman ex- like exhibiting the symptoms that I was exhibiting I, it would have been much more likely that I would have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, but mm-hmm. I wasn't. I had, I've had an eating disorder since I was about 11 years old, and I didn't get diagnosed with it until I was 20, 21. Yeah. Like, I, there's not really a reason that it should have gone on that long other than I'm a guy and no one really picked it up in me. But the things I was saying, behaviors I was exhibiting, a lot of them should have been identified as like a problem, but they weren't because I was a guy. Um, I I think that is a huge part of, you know, what we're seeing, like I said, even in like current I'm obviously speaking from a fitness culture perspective and seeing that that as well and I'm seeing it in my peers I'm seeing it in my peers I'm seeing a lot of people especially you know I've worked with a lot of men where I've visibly seen the poor body image I've seen the dysmorphia Mm -hmm. I've seen um the the kind of way people talk about intermittent fasting and just casually not eating xyz for a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. you know just going like if I said that, alarm bells would be ringing for all of you, I Absolutely. hope. 
but it's just interesting <laughs> that you can't see it in yourselves. We once, I once, yeah. the part of an, I was part of another podcast and we had a man, be a, a guest, a really prominent trainer in London come in and it was, you know, about four o'clock in the afternoon at that point by the time we wrapped up and he was really in, really into the benefits of um, intuitive, intuitive, please everyone it's not intuitive intermittent (laughs) fasting um and yeah he kind of proudly said like yep I haven't eaten today and you know the it it just shocked me that no one else in the room was like why are we proud of this like this Mm -hmm. is you know highly unusual to be able to completely disconnect and ignore your body's hunger signals and ignore all the cues cues you have mm-hmm. and be really proud of not eating all day if you know once again if one of us had said that the thin white women in the room it would have been a whole different story and yet that is so yeah. normalized and encouraged and you get you know then we get into like the i'm thinking of like jack dorsey like uh you know, CEO of Twitter coming on and yeah, it's actually things. a surprisingly big thing in Silicon Valley. Silicon like, Valley, they're Silic- Silicon they love Valley is legged with these like biohacking, <gasps> like diety things that are very, very like male centric. It's it's really a, it's a problem. It's a huge problem. And what I find really interesting about all of that and like that men's wellness diet culture hybrid they've got going on, especially in those sorts of circles, is this idea of it being linked with success. And as you said, Mm -hmm. financial gain, that you're more productive and you're more, um, you know, valuable in this, you know, your output is greater if you're able to abide by these Mm-hmm. rather ridiculous wellness rules diet rules that they have put in place um you know I know people love like the whole um is it Wim Hof who does like these ice bath things and mm-hmm. like I'm not saying I've looked deep too deeply into it but I've seen a lot of people get really on board with that and my thought process is when I'm seeing that is like a lot of you are would much rather sit in ice for three minutes than go to therapy, and it's mm-hmm. really clear to me that it's almost as you'd as if much rather do that. Is the problem? Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I agree with you, and I, and I just don't. And yeah, it kind of shocks me that the lack of awareness about it. But then you know, an outsider looking in, and, and it, that's what that's what you see. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that that is absolutely what is going on. It's all very concerning. And there are not nearly enough alarm bells being rung about it. It's a huge issue. And it is going to affect so many more men and specifically young boys. Mm. But it's it's a part of like incel culture. It's a part of just masculinity in general right now. It's it's a mess. Specifically, the the inclusion of it in incel culture is like this idea that like it's women's fault that like I am not being slept with, right? Mm. Like like there's this like push to like make your body 
like as jacked as possible so that like women will see you as like this prospective hot man that like they are like wrong to reject and like it it just it fits perfectly into incel culture and so the other thing is that you see a lot of violence within these conversations about men's eating disorders i get terrible things said to me all the time from men who quite literally want me dead because i talk about this and it's horrifying i i see when i see men talk online they talk about this whether they're giving like i say like fitness advice that i think is um like i said a lot of it is just a, a manual on disordered behaviors like in my view um absolutely but i see a lot of it there's a lot of uh there's a certain trend do you know you know who Piers morgan is don't you yeah uh, yeah so horrendous british journalist who yes. literally is obsessed with controversy and is it just loves attention and so i've seen this trend happen into the male kind of fitness space um is this whole this whole idea of being like a no-nonsense straight talking see you know say it how i see it uh trainer or you know fitness professional who is angry and uses a lot of um swear words to convey themselves you Mm -hmm. know it's um and and uses a kind of language that feels like a very like no bullshit approach Mm -hmm. and so that gets a lot of attention and traction this idea that um if a man is literally shouting at you loud enough about you know this diet stupid you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be doing that you should be doing what i tell you to do there's a lot of authority that comes with that and the the perspective they're kind of giving and this this narrative they're giving is like, I know what's best for you. You should listen to me. I shout the loudest. I'm the most angry about it. I can swear the most about this. And therefore you have to listen to my point of view. And there's no, there's very little room for dialogue opened up within that whole space. You know, anyone to vaguely critique or question is often called out and it's actually like within the followers of those kinds of people. There's a mob mentality where people mm-hmm. kind of jump on anyone who may be, you know, question this person who's putting themselves quite literally on a pedestal of, you know, this huge authority figure on health and fitness. Um, Never have I ever experienced backlash <laughs> from the followers of a person like that. Never. It's never and happened. It's never is- happened that one of them has like stitched one of my videos and I've suddenly gotten death threats. It's never happened. Yeah. So, and we can easily not be thinking of the same person because there are, there, there are so are many of them. Many. No, it, there are many. We're not thinking of the same person. Yeah. We're like, there's no way. There's so, there are countless people like that. There are countless. And like I said, I think it's so linked with that hyper masculine thing and this sort of very toxic um, idea of always being right, especially if they're critiqued by a woman. Like it's their fault. There's having, there's like, like I said, there's zero opportunity for dialogue or discourse around anything. And yeah. To me, that is, like you say, that is just embodying that that 
that toxic masculinity and that that hyper masculinity that is stopping mm-hmm. people from see, being able to take a step back and look at their own mental health, look at their own situation, look at their own relationship with food, sure. with their body, with exercise. Um, it's like that they're, they're blinded. Yeah. And scrolling Absolutely. through the for you TikTok can be infuriating. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I've I've done a really good job of curating mm-hmm. my streams. Uh, on TikTok and Instagram to not include stuff like that organically. Mm. Um, So it's a lot of like hitting not interested and like specifically going to like hashtags of things I'm actually interested in to make sure that that kind of stuff does not appear. But it can be horrifying to come across it i'm absolutely tagged and stuff like that especially when it involves me which it you know when i see it it often does so it it feels even more violent and personal um yeah the internet is a hard place for that i think as well because it's it just, sure is. it's just brutal um i also wanted to talk about your uh talk about TikTok in general and Mm -hmm. you know I am seeing and like I said just because of maybe the hashtags I use if I put like hashtag recovery or you know something Mm um I on the whole will get the will find the content that resonates with me but then I also get a lot of the content that's a lot of the why in a day videos it's a lot of transformation Mm -hmm. videos it's a lot of um people's um yeah how tips to lose weight or whatever um mm-hmm. what are your what are your thoughts on kind of the state of uh tiktok and instagram and how and i'd like to talk about tiktok specifically like how yeah. that app is shaping our body image shaping our relationships with food like i know there's some great content on there but i know i've seen some really really like proper pro anna stuff on there yeah, that's been absolutely. shocking so I just um, and sometimes I report it when when I get tagged in it I'll report it and the reports will come back inconclusive they'll be like yeah. they'll be like sorry nothing nothing bad here actually it's like literally don't eat yeah I just <laughs> they're like yeah there's today. there's nothing wrong with this actually it's like yeah. are you kidding um I think that the internet at large is an incredibly harmful place. Um, and I think that Instagram and TikTok in particular, when it comes to eating disorders, are doing far more harm than they are good. Um, I think that we would do well with much heavier restrictions on what can be posted regarding those things. Um, I think that what you and I do is harm reduction, but I don't think it is necessarily positive. I think that, like, a lot of these issues stem from being online. Mm. Like, also, like, there, there's obviously, like, other factors as well. Like, a lot of people get it from their family, et cetera. But I think that it's made worse in those cases by online presences. Um, and I, I don't think that it is helpful (laughs) to anyone's eating disorder to be on Instagram or TikTok. Um, 
I think that when you come across content like the content that we make, that it helps you work towards recovery and might give you an out of a really toxic online space that you found yourself in. But I think that our content is being consumed alongside a lot of really harmful content. And so I think it is harm reduction. I I would agree with you in the sense that I know that you might have a similar experience to me of having um, conversations in your in your DMs with people that you know the best thing for them is not even to be on the app. The best thing for them, because it's like, oh, but I saw this person talk about this and, you know, there's, there's so much conflicting advice. And as much as you may, like I said, have that kind of be a place for harm reduction and perhaps offer an alternative, an alternative perspective, um, for the first time ever. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that, real healing you know is probably done offline oh and yes i agree i guess my point is that like that real healing is happening after being exposed to an incredibly toxic online space yeah and that that real healing would not be as necessary if that hadn't happened in the first place yeah you know i think a lot of people are working through stuff that and I'll say this as someone who have shared online for eight, nine years, and I know for probably the first five years of that um, has probably been very triggering for people to follow, very triggering. Mm. Um, and I've had plenty of people tell me, like, I had to, I couldn't consume what you were putting out there, and I, you know, I, I unfollowed you, mm. and I, I set that boundary. Um, I'm really pleased to come back and actually – this is a whole completely different experience and I'm, you know, I'm really glad to see you're in, you're in that place and, you know, I I can support you. And I completely respect that because obviously I've, I've had to do that. Um, but sadly the, a lot of the people making what we may consider like harmful content, like I, like I said, as someone who's made that harmful content will not even realize in the moment what they're doing. No, I I think that, I think that, uh, uh, what is that saying about the road? The road to something is paved with good intentions. Hell. Um, the road to hell. Thank you. The mm. road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think that most people are are coming from a good place. I, I think that if you are advocating for something, it's because you believe that it is good. Mm. And so, if you are advocating for these really harmful things it's because you truly believe against like against what is you know accurate information but like trigger warning but like the the word obesity like is even a real word and like exists like it doesn't but like there are people who truly believe that obesity is killing people even though it's not. And they are very passionate about what they perceive to be saving lives. But they're just misinformed. And it's it, it's like, 
that that's the the issue with misinformation but like it's not even like misinformation in the like election scandal kind of way it's misinformation in that like the world health organization is not perfect the national uh institute for health in the u.s is not perfect and they sometimes put out really really harmful information um like the new york times doesn't always like the new york times has done pieces on obesity this thing that doesn't actually harm people in a in a like obesity is the problem kind of way you know like the problem often in those cases is systemic anti-fatness you know uh it's unequal access to health care because doctors don't take fat patients seriously but that gets disguised and people get misled to believe that these things are problems that they're not people are trying to do the best with with the information they have at that point and if you haven't heard an alternative perspective and you haven't um like you're saying looked into the layers of of the various issues then you are you're you're saying what you believe to be true and like mm-hmm. you know I, I completely agree with you um and for those people who are like um you know we have kind of covered this on the podcast but for those of people who are looking for a deep dive on um the obesity epidemic and bmi and all of that i have to shout out maintenance phase podcast maintenance phase it is podcast. such a good podcast it is the best po- like i there is no podcast i've ever enjoyed as much as i've enjoyed maintenance phase do you know what i would i would agree with you um it's been one of my faves to listen to um mike and aubrey are the funniest duo ever and so there was a tweet that they shared the other day that was like recommending the maintenance phase podcast to someone is like recommending a friend to someone yeah i i like i think about that like once a day like that's how much i love that podcast well i'm gonna link those episodes in the show notes because i i think there's such a great um education on what um you were talking about and um, yeah. i don't think i could ever do it as much justice as they do so i'd also you- love to plug um a book by deshaun harrison called belly of the beast the uh, politics of anti-fatness as anti-blackness. Um, absolutely important read, uh, specifically at, when you're looking at the intersection of fat politics and black politics. Once again, going to share that in the show notes as well, because I think these are like awesome things for us to check out and support and read and understand. Um, Oh, I'm. I'm. Have to say, I'm loving this conversation. We are going. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and we are we are going on so many, so many um directions. One thing I did want to touch base with you about because we both have in common is the fact that you're studying musical theatre. I went to drama school, which is actually, um, drama school was the um 
the birth of my eating disorder. Um, no I would, way. I don't blame I, it. I can't believe it. No, I know. Shocking, right? <laughs> um, I don't blame it. But, you know, multiple factors, multiple aspects of life all converging in, you know, 2013. Um, I'm a second year student in, in college um, studying musical theater full time. And yeah, since then, it's been... Um, you know, an uphill climb, but we've got there. And (laughs) I'm really curious because you're still studying. So, you know, I'm really curious on how you're coping with the culture of the musical theatre world. And, you know, I hope in the last, you know, pretty much the last 10 years, because I literally started 10 years ago, that things have progressed, that we are seeing a slightly more um, accepting industry and, and training. Oh, Oh, is we're that, not. Is that hopeful? Is that too hopeful? <laughs> it's too hopeful. Okay. <laughs> um, like, yeah, I I would say, mind you, I don't know how how bad it was in 2013. Um, however, I will say that it's still pretty incredibly bad today. Um, I have decided that I'm not pursuing musical theater i'm just finishing my degree at this point um and i think that that has helped me distance myself from the culture of it uh but it it is riddled with (laughs) these issues um and i i don't think that that's going away anytime soon i mean literally when broadway was reopening you had a New York Times article where they were talking about how the performers weren't going to fit into their costumes because of their quarantine weight. Like, it is it is still a really disgusting industry when it comes to stuff like this. Um, and I don't think that that will get better until it is a truly more inclusive industry, which I I think that there was a lot of hope that it would become more inclusive once like Broadway returned. Um, It didn't, it didn't. And I, I'm not sure that if, if it didn't this time, when will it? Uh, Obviously like it, it has to at some point and things change as times change and like the Broadway we see now and the West end that we see now is like far more inclusive than it was like 20 years ago, even right. Even probably 10 years ago, but in that specific way, I don't believe that it has changed much. Um, but like when it comes down to it the size of your body does not at all dictate the kind of art that you can make and it doesn't it doesn't prevent you from making that art in any way like you can be fat and be a ballerina so long as you are able like so long as your body is physically able to do ballet you you can do ballet you know so it's it's really disgusting <laughs> in conclusion <laughs> um, the yeah, industry. I think um, and I, have, I have a lot of thoughts on it and maybe I'll feel better about it 
when, once you're out of it once I'm out of it or like mm. once I've had distance from it for a while I'm sure it will also have grown during that time but uh, I'm I'm extremely pessimistic about the industry at the moment I think within that world and theater in general you've got it's it's a not even a generational thing but the people in power the people in charge are products of you know the way we thought about body image and health and thinness you know 20 30 40 50 years ago for sure and those people are still in those those people who have they have a um, death grip on power absolutely you know (laughs) you know if you trained in the 80s and you were told to like don't eat smoke you know those mm-hmm. sorts of people are the people running the show right now. And, um, you yeah. know, as much as the students, I think, are progressing and evolving and wanting change and, like, newer generations, you've still got the the kind of the older generations who are still there and largely in charge and largely in power and, and don't see maybe any issue <laughs> with a lot of, of industry practices and the way they hire people and cast people and the way they think about people so yeah um I so I graduated and I never worked I never professionally worked um I worked professionally some during school yeah um and it's like in the professional world especially I felt that presence Mm. It's I'm I'm personally really glad I didn't do it. And so I, you know, props to you for, you know, thinking you want to step away and do something different because Yeah. On a and from a like success perspective and from a whatever, like people in that world will be like, Oh my goodness, if you're not doing if you're not doing that, you're you're not doing it. And you know, that there's certain things that are meant to be like the the markers of success and actually you can completely redefine that for you and completely do whatever you want to do and you'll use that skill set absolutely for the rest of your life your your tiktok well, and I, I use it every day on instagram and tiktok yeah. and i also recently released some music and we were going to get that, to that yeah um, Go for it. i i um i released a, my debut single it's called clay it's about living with body dysmorphia um, everyone should please go stream it. Um, please. And there's a there's a music video as well on YouTube. And I have found so much freedom in making my own art and not having to have someone else tell me that I can make art, not like go through a casting process and then be granted permission to make art. It has been a much more liberating experience working as my my own product as as well as like I'm a baritone I'm not a tenor and they don't write for me in musical theater Mm. so that has always been a big struggle and that is also a a body problem because you're born with with your voice part you know um and so I've really existed in an industry that has never felt accepting to me even even with all of my privilege um and so uh I I'm really enjoying doing art that is my own, you know? And how much is that, like, when it, we're talking about your mental health and talking about your recovery and, like, how much of having that way to express yourself? And, like, I know your song, Clay, is about your experience with body dysmorphia and, you know, that's a very personal thing to you. Like, how important is it to have that outlet, to have that way to express yourself? It's been incredibly, incredibly important. 
and I have had a blast making art that actually reflects my own experience. And um, it it's so much more meaningful to be doing that. I love that. I love that. Everyone is going to go check it out. I'm going to link that. Another so many links in today's show notes. Honestly, so many things <laughs> for people to check out. Um, I have to finish uh, our conversation today by asking you, what has been your most recent train happy moment? I think that instead of like pointing out one moment, uh, I'll say that um, every moment that like. I decide to eat whatever food I'm going to eat and enjoy it and not judge myself for it is a train happy moment. Here, here, I would completely agree with you because every time that's a choice to put yourself first and trust yourself and do what's right for yourself. And that is the opposite of what, of what your eating disorder wants you to do and what diet culture wants you to do. And yeah, like celebrate that, you know, it's those small wins and that bigger journey that really keep you going. For sure. It's been such a pleasure to chat, William. Like where can everyone find you? Where can everyone support you? Honestly, we Um, could have chatted for hours. We could have talked for a much longer time. I'm sorry that we couldn't. Um, you can find me on Instagram at William Hornby, and you can find me on TikTok at William.Hornby. And you can find me on YouTube uh, if you search William Hornby Clay. And if you could please follow me on Spotify, that would really help because I have some uh, new music coming out soon. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it exciting okay thank you so oh, much oh and sorry you can also find me at williamhornby.com oh. <laughs> all the links we've got them for you thank you so much William um, I will let you go thank we've run you. out of time but it's been such a pleasure it's been a wonderful pleasure thank you so much and that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.